coronavirus pandemic has changed our lives in many ways. With so much turmoil in the global economy, it's no surprise then that our investment portfolios have taken a big hit. Over the past few months, we've seen share prices crashing, livelihoods destroyed, and governments rolling out generous stimulus packages to prop up economies. While stock markets have rallied from the lows we saw in March, the road ahead is still very unclear which can leave investors uncertain about what steps to take next. So how should investors position their portfolios now? What opportunities should they consider? How much risk should they take? And with the record-breaking bull run encouraging many to manage their own investments, what's next for the DIY investor? Welcome to Pocketful of Dirhams. I'm Alice Hayne, the Personal Finance Editor of The National, and joining me today is Stuart McCulloch, the market head of the Middle East at the Fry Group, a financial advisory company based in Dubai International Financial Center. Welcome to the show, Stuart. Uh, thanks very much for having me, Alice. For the past few months have been quite a roller coaster for investors, as I'm sure you're very aware, Stuart. Is it too early to call this a recovery? I think it probably is too early to, to call this a recovery. Um, but it clearly has been a recovery uh, in the short term, at least. Um, if we consider that the FTSE 100 fell from 7,600 points in January to just below 5,000 at the end of March, uh, and then you consider that in, in, during a strong rally in April, we're now finding ourselves back at 6,200. Um, you know, that is on the back of the, the stimulus packages that you've already mentioned. Uh, and it's good to see um, that that rally has happened. The long-term picture right now, I think it's too early to say that this is a recovery, that's going to be a long-term sustainable recovery, because you know we don't know enough about this pandemic yet, and we don't know what can happen if there's a second wave. Um, so I think, you know, I would say right now, things are starting to look a bit more positive, and governments are certainly trying their best. So... We're seeing that global markets are edging higher. And at the same time, we're reading the headlines telling us that the economic outlook is very bleak. You know, unemployment is soaring. Many companies are closing across, you know, across the world. So why aren't the markets reflecting what we're seeing on the ground? Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good question. It's one that I suppose will be confusing a lot of people who maybe um, are new to investments or maybe aren't, aren't fully aware of all the, the economics behind it. But it comes down to ultimately the, the packages that have been put together by, by governments and central banks. Um, if you consider the, the, the size of the, the uh, recovery packages that are on, in, in play right now, the European Central Bank started a 750 billion euro pandemic emergency fund, uh, which is you know, looking to help uh, banks prop up the, the, the markets, uh, buying back bonds. Uh, central Bank in the UK has cut its rates to 0.1%. And announce a 200 billion uh, quantitative easing to make things easier for banks to lend. So, um, you know, they're, they're trying their absolute utmost. And I think when you start to see things like um, progress against treatments that come out into the news, um, you know, uh, and, and some of the other things that have come in, things like uh, earnings uh, predictions, um, the market has, for, for the first time, really started to see the positives in what's happening and trying to. To, to keep that rally going. So, um, yeah, it, it seems strange that there's a lot of things that aren't going right, right now, but I think that governments uh, and central banks are, are certainly doing their bit to, to try and keep things going in both of the economies. But I mean, is it sustainable, though? Because, you know, we're seeing that lockdowns are easing, people are coming back out in society, you know, we're all moving about a bit more, some of us are going into the office. 
So suddenly it seems like it's getting back to normal. So what could trigger another crash? Because there's a lot of reticent analysts out there who are saying, hold on a minute, it's not over yet. Are we, are we talking about a second wave of COVID-19 or is soaring unemployment figures that can't be resolved? Is that going to trigger another crash? These things all could trigger another crash. Uh, and it's, it, we're in a period of uncertainty right now. Um, we don't really know where this is going to go in relation to if there is a second wave. I mean, if there is a second wave, um, and if you consider the Spanish flu of 19, it's the second wave that did most of the damage. If that was to happen, then that could certainly have a, a very big negative impact on the market. Um, when you when you look at other things as well, um, you know, people defaulting on loans and historically high levels in the US, the amount of people that are unemployed in the US, these things have, uh, you know, a potential big impact on the market. So depending on what the government's do in relation to trying to sort that situation out, that will give us a better idea of what the long-term picture looks like. But fundamentally, I would say um, this is the time to get close to your advisor. Uh, and work together and, and make sure that as this, as the situation evolves, um, that you make some sound decisions together based on having a steer and getting some guidance. The last thing we want people doing is reacting to every news article they see and making bad choices at the wrong time based on just not really understanding uh, how these things tend to play out. Um, but and also, if you if you've got a long time until you're you're planning to to come out of the market then you, know, you shouldn't be overly concerned because you know, we've seen these things in history time and time again and invariably the market will, will recover. And if you've got time on your hands, then short-term volatility shouldn't be your biggest worry. But you say that, but a lot of investors actually did panic and they did sell up. Um, um, as a passive investor, I mean, I'm a passive investor and we've got a big movement of that here. I, I am one of those people that takes the long-term view uh, and that is to buy and hold over the long term. But what is your advice to people who did panic? You know, they, they just sold everything and just thought it's all, you know, it's all going to disappear. Get out now. Um, you know, unfortunately, if, if someone has, has panicked and hasn't been working with uh, a professional wealth manager or, 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 or financial planner, um, and sold out at the, at the bottom, then there's very little we can do at that stage other than you've crystallised that loss. The, the, the next thing to do is to try and come up with a, a sound strategy to get them back into the market so that they can they can take advantage of the, the longer-term recovery. Um, but this is why people need to, I think, sometimes rely on somebody who's independent of their own money. It takes emotion out of it a little bit and just helps them see different angles that maybe they don't see themselves as, as a DIY investor. So which sectors do you think have actually benefited then during the pandemic? Because some sectors have really gained and some have lost out. So which are the ones that you see are flying high and, and, and who's not doing so well? It's probably the, the obvious ones that everyone's aware of. But I would think that the, the least obvious answer is it's firms that have been able to adapt to the changing landscape uh, quickly and evolve uh, their offering and evolve their approach and their, and their route to market, that, that'll do well. Um, because what, what tends to happen in situations like this is that firms who fail to, to act quickly enough um, feel a, a far harder hit than some of their competitors. And then, you know, the competitors have managed to evolve quickly uh, to take advantage of the changing uh, landscape uh, or to adapt to the changing landscape and end up uh, having a bigger market share on the back of that. Um, the obvious answers as well, of course, are that technology will probably do well out of this. Healthcare will do well out of this. 
delivery services, online retailers will have done uh, reasonably well out of this because people can't go to shops, so they're, they're ordering things online. Um, and yeah, so I would say the obvious ones, but the, the, the least obvious answer is the firms that have been able to adapt the quickest. But who has lost out here? I mean, one sector that stands out is aviation, but what other sectors may have lost out from the um, market volatility that we've seen? If you look globally, then you're absolutely right. Uh, the airlines have taken a, a bit of a battering, and it's going to be a very difficult uh, road back to recovery for them. Um, oil and gas obviously has, has had a lot of problems as well, uh, not just uh, on, on production arguments and, and setting um, you know, production goals, but also that the demand for oil has gone down because you know there's, there's, less, there's less travel, there's less movement of goods, uh, there's less people driving, um, there's less people on the roads, you know, so the, the, the physical demand has gone down. So they're going to find it difficult. Hospitality uh, and leisure industries uh, will be very badly hit because, you know, there's no tourists coming, nobody's travelling. Um, hotels will be struggling massively because there's no seminars and events getting done either. Um, and, you know, gyms having to shut, water parks having to shut, um, you know, cinemas, all these things are going to have a very difficult time right now. So what advice are you giving to clients now? Because obviously, you know, people have seen what the markets go down, they've seen them coming back up. So what are you telling your clients right now? In the main, we're telling clients to, to, to stay close to their advisor, but ultimately to, to hold their nerve. Um, at the end of the day, if you agree in a, an asset allocation and you, you've got a proper asset allocation in place and it's been properly managed for you, then it's 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 hold, uh, stay the course. Uh, this will this will certainly go up and down over the next twelve months or so. But the long term view would expect it still should be okay. So it's a case of uh, staying close to your advisor and, and trying to ride it that storm. Don't make any rash short term decisions, um, and don't think you're going to try and time the market. Um, you know, it's it's about you know keeping a, a calm head. You talk about asset allocation there, and you know we. At the national, we're always encouraging investors to diversify, you know, their portfolios and have a, a nice balance between stocks and bonds. So, how much of a portfolio should they allocate to each? Well, the answer to that is that it really comes down to the individual and the individual's appetite for investment risk. Um, you really need to make sure that you've properly measured, through using uh, a number of tools that are out there, um, what your appetite for investment risk is, what your tolerances are, your capacity for losses. And then based on uh, having come to that conclusion, that will then help you understand what the asset allocation should be right for you. But also the asset allocation will give you a, a proposed yield that you should be able to achieve based on that allocation. And then as long as you're happy that that yield will match your objectives, um, then that, that tells you how you should split the money. Um, not necessarily just between equities and bonds. You know, you want to look at things like government gilts, you may want to look at property. You may want to look at commodities like gold. Um, there's lots of different ways in which you can diversify. But ultimately, having the money in the, uh, as diversified a portfolio as you can with non-correlated assets within that portfolio is sound for most people. And should people be more risk-averse now since COVID-19? Um, again, it's a good question. But the, the reality is, if you have an appetite for investment risk and you have time uh, on your hands to be in the market, then there's opportunity in, in all market conditions. Um, right now, we've seen a, a, a fall off in value in relation to the, the, the world's markets. So you could argue that there is, there's benefit in going in now. Um, 
And if you've got the right appetite for risk, then you shouldn't be put off if you've got time in your hands. If you're a short-term investor, however, you may want to take a more guarded view. What advice do you give to your investors? Do you tell them to invest in certain sectors? Do you ask them to go for a more generalized approach? Are you putting them into index links, exchange traded funds? You know, what's your strategy that you offer your clients? Again, it comes down to the individual needs of the client. I mean, you need to have a deep dive discussion with clients in relation to their risk tolerances, the capacity for loss, their understanding of different instruments that are available, you know, how much cost they want to have in it or how much cost they can they can tolerate within the portfolio. And then based on having had that, that deep discussion, we, we look at everything that's available. We've got full independence, so there's nothing that we can't look at. And then it's about coming up with the right strategy for them. If they want access to you know, ETFs, we want access to passive funds, which are going to keep the cost down for all or part of the strategy, then that is what's right for them. But it's about having the proper discussion with the client and understanding what they're trying to achieve. You talk about cost there, and obviously that's a big discussion point here in the UAE because we, we've had incidences in the past where people have been sort of sold very expensive uh, investment products that don't serve them at all and don't give them a return. So what kind of cost level do you offer your clients? Well, for me, there's there's two very important uh, aspects to, to advising, especially in the expatriate market. Um, and those things are you need to have flexibility. Uh, when you when you're when you're living in a country that's not your home country, you sometimes you don't know what you don't know. We don't we never know what's around the corner. You never know you may have to repatriate. Um, and circumstances can change maybe more uh, dramatically than they can if you're based in your home country. So we need to make sure that we have that flexibility built in. And then the next thing, of course, is we need to make sure that we come up with a cost-effective strategy for those clients. Now, we don't take any commissions or margins on any product that we advise. We we are fee-based. And and ultimately, we do full disclosure before the client has to make any decisions. Um, But absolutely, we try to keep the cost down. We don't put people into unnecessary unnecessary, uh, wrappers or products uh, because we don't take commissions, so we don't need to do that anyway. So we're always looking at trying to, to drive the value. And it's driving value, which is the key thing to being a successful advisor and having a strong relationship with the client. Um, and the fee-based model means that we have skin in the game. We will make more on our fee the more money we make the client. So putting in unnecessary cost is counterproductive to what we're trying to achieve for ourselves as well as the client. So can you tell us what your fees are? They're on a scale based on the amount of work that's involved. Um, a lot of the work we do is charged by the hour, if it's tax or it's estates work or, or will work. Uh, on our investment and pension type work, we have a, a scale that we, that we charge. Um, tends to be uh, a percentage of the, the amount invested, and we do have some flexibility uh, to, to reduce fees if, if, if the work is going to be relatively straightforward. So we don't just have a, a set blanket approach. But we, we charge in line with what you'd expect in the best practices in the UK. So you've talked about a scale there, Stuart. Can you give us an idea of what that scale is? Yeah, I can. So um, depending on the, the level of work that's involved, we normally charge uh, for an advice fee uh, between 1% and 2%, which is a one-off upfront uh, cost for the work involved, to do the recommendations, the analysis, and to onboard the person as a client. And then on an annual basis, we charge 1% for the ongoing services that we provide. So 
with that in mind, I mean, there's a lot of do-it-yourself investors now in the UAE. We've seen a lot of people opening brokerage accounts in March and April to buy index tracking exchange traded funds. And, and they did so then because prices were very low and they thought, you know, I've wanted to go down this strategy for a long time. Let's get in when prices are low. So what advice would you offer people who do want to manage their own money? Okay, so if, if you're going to manage your own money, then you, the things you must consider are, do you understand what your risk uh, appetite is? Do you understand the risk involved in different instruments and, and different markets? Um, because it, it's very easy to, 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 to buy what's, what is cheapest, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to help you achieve what you're trying to do. So it's about really understanding your appetite for risk and then coming up with an appropriate asset allocation. Um, then, there are, like you say, there are lots of platforms that allow you to do that, but you must always remember to, to track what you're in and consider rebalancing uh, those portfolios because what happens is the, the stronger performing assets, which tend to be the riskier assets, will skew the overall portfolio asset allocation in time, where you then might end up being far more exposed to the risks than maybe you're comfortable with. So it's about regularly reviewing it as well and not just setting up and then buy and hold. You have to rebalance as you go. And it's also about investing regularly as well. And at times like these, I have noticed a lot of the DIY investors kind of getting a bit nervous. And I, I do say to them, it's about holding your emotions. You've really got to kind of keep it together. And that applies to all investors, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's very difficult. But when, when you're, you're working with your own money and you see value go down, um, it's difficult sometimes for people to hold their nerve. But the reality is when things like this happen and markets go down, it's only a paper loss at that stage. It's only a loss if you then crystallise it and come out. When you come out, you've crystallised it. It's now, it now is an actual loss. And it is about holding your nerve. If you want to change the risk exposure because you think that markets are suddenly now more volatile than, than you were comfortable with when you started, then it's about maybe working with someone who, who understands how these things work and coming up with maybe a different appetite for risk and a different strategy that you can adopt, which allows you to still remain invested and maybe take some risk off the table. Have your finances been affected by the pandemic? Send us your stories and questions to pf at the national.ae and remember that PF stands for personal finance. Which now brings us on to a question from a listener. And this is from BN in Dubai. And he says, I'm new to investing. I've been building up my savings over the past year. And I now have a sizable emergency fund set up. I now want to dive into the market. So what is the best advice for a novice? What would you suggest here, Stuart? Um, Generally, I would suggest getting advice from a properly qualified and registered uh, financial advisory firm. Um, and it's always good to get guidance from someone who's done that for a long time. But if you if, if you wanted to do it from themselves, I would say do your research. Um, genuinely understand what your, your risk appetite is and your capacity for losses. Um, think about diversifying your portfolio. Um, try and keep emotions out of it. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, if you understand that it's time in the market rather than time in the market, you know, Accept that if you've got time, like you've got five, ten-year horizon that you don't need the money for, as long as you review that, um, then you know things should be okay for you. If someone, if someone's going to invest, then it's about understanding the different platforms that are available to them as well. And and, and you get investors who want to be highly active um, with their investment. They want to have regular reporting. They want to be able to log in and see how things are going at any, any given point. 
they want to have the functionality to be able to make changes to it. So it's about making sure you, you, you find a, a good cost-effective platform that also allows you to, 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 to give you what you need. Um, but yeah, I, I genuinely think if you're really new to this, um, it doesn't hurt to, to get proper advice from a qualified advisor. One of the big problems we see here, though, Stuart, you know, when people talk about financial advisors is that a lot of people aren't financial advisors. They're actually financial salespeople who are selling products, so to speak. Uh, And often they can be um, contractual savings plans or insurance wrappers where you have an insurance product like like life insurance wrapped in with an investment product. And and what I've found through many years of being the personal finance editor at the National is that these products are very expensive and they don't give you a healthy return on your investment, which is why we have this very strong uh, do-it-yourself investment trend here now where people are like I, I've been screwed I'm now going to go out on my own and invest my own so I mean what would you say about those types of products those insurance wrappers should people be aware of those I think people absolutely need to be um, wary of of some of the products that are, uh, exist in the market the, the key things for a, an expat is that cost effectiveness and flexibility um, the contractual plans that you see in the market don't give you that flexibility. And invariably, they'll have a tie-in period or a lock-in period because they need to recoup commissions. Um, so when you when you talk about someone needing flexibility, when you've got a lock-in period uh, and potentially commissions being paid on those, then they're not a good solution. So with that in mind, what do you think the biggest mistakes are that investors make? Particularly in a crisis, what are the biggest mistakes that investors make? Knee-jerk decisions. Um, Going after quick, quick, uh, get, get rich quick schemes, um, thinking that something um, is is the next big thing and jumping into it in a big way, uh, having too much, um, you know, narrow diversification, maybe too much specialisms within the portfolio because it's something that they like, um, and and it's about taking that emotion out of it and, and making sensible decisions. But it tends to be people who jump into something because it's, it's absolutely skyrocketing and that's the wrong time to get in because you've missed, you've missed that boat. Um, and, and jumping out when something goes down, again, it's the wrong thing to do. It's about trying to uh, have a, a good diversified approach, um, and, and which is cost effective. Make sure you don't go into something that's really expensive or inflexible as well. These are things that you must avoid. And ultimately, it's about having a long-term strategy. Investing isn't about something that you necessarily do for six months, unless you're one of those quick turnaround type of guys. But ultimately, for most people based out here, it's about thinking long-term. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. It's about thinking long-term, but it's also I think it's about thinking about what happens when I go home. Um, and it's always important, I think, that you have a strategy which is transferable back home, uh, i.e. it's in product uh, that there's allowed to go back. But also, it's important that you take tax advice at that point as well, because we see lots of examples that have come to us uh, where people have managed to build up good levels of wealth while they've been here, and they're about to go home, but there's a lot of things they need to do before they go back so they don't get stung on tax. Um, And you really need to make sure you get some tax advice before you go back with all that money that you've made, because there's lots of things you can do completely legitimately, which will either get rid of a tax liability or massively reduce it. With all that money that you've made. I like that, Stuart. That, that gives us all hope, particularly in these difficult times. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you this week to Stuart McCulloch. If you have a question that you would like to ask us, send it to pf at thenational.ae. And remember, that's PF for personal finance. Please do subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to receive weekly updates. And also leave us a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison. I've been your host, Alice Hayne.